Welcome to The Practice Podcast, a show created by lawyers to help lawyers in life and business without all the complicated lawyer language. Let's welcome Bast Amron founders and your hosts, Jeff Bast and Brett Amron. Hi, Brett. How are you? I'm all right, Jeff. How are you? It's a Monday. It is a Monday. Have we recorded on a Monday before? Boy, we're going to have to go back. It's a long time to go back. So many episodes, but yeah, I'm sure. I don't know. I'm sure. I'm happy to be here with you. Of course you are. I'm happy to be here with you too. I'm happy to be here today because of our special guest we have in-house. Who is it? Can we do like smart list? Yeah. You want me to lay it out for you? You're going to surprise me? I'll do it. I won't say his or her name. I will run through a rather lengthy introduction because this person is, dare I say, if not already there on the verge of becoming a legend. I would say Mm -hmm. that he or she is not perhaps old enough. I'm going to give them a compliment. They're not old enough to be there, but they're almost there. So this person is a shareholder with the law firm of Gray Robinson. He or she is engaged in criminal and civil white-collar defense litigation for corporate executives, prominent individuals, athletes, actors, recording artists, ordinary citizens like you or me, as well as small, mid-sized, major, multi-million dollar businesses in all federal and state courts, trial and appellate levels. This person concentrates on the defense of criminal violations in the areas of banking, bankruptcy, cryptocurrency, NFTs, computer, environment, I'm not even going to say it all, including Mm. fraud, everything. This person defends clients charged with violations of Foreign Club Corrupt Practices Act, money laundering, RICO, regulatory issues, Native American and gaming laws, fraud involving COVID-19, the PPP, IDLE, CARES Act, you name it. And this person has represented clients all over the world. He or she also represents individuals and corporations involved in grand jury investigations. I couldn't believe this, but I counted. This person is admitted, obviously, in Florida, New York, and District Columbia. However, this person is also admitted to practice before the Supreme Court and almost every circuit court of appeal in the United States. Wow. Yeah. This person was a director and served on the board of National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers for a decade, is a fellow of the prestigious American Board of Criminal Lawyers. This person was a recipient of the Daily Business Review's Most Effective South Florida Lawyer Award, has been acknowledged in Super Lawyers, Florida Trend, and as a top lawyer in South Florida Legal Guide. There's more? There's there's, there's there's a little bit more. This person is successfully challenged by way of appeal Florida law enforcement's ability to collect DNA samples from convicted Mm -hmm. felons who are no longer being supervised by the state, has earned an AV rating by Martin Del Hubble, featured numerous times in the Herald, Sun Sentinel, Palm Beach Post, other newspapers across the country, has been featured in the Times, the Journal, Wall Street Journal, National Law Journal, has been on TV a number of times. And most importantly, this person is one of my mentors and taught me what it means to be a lawyer, the work ethic required to become a great lawyer, and candidly, to be a great person. Wow. Welcome, Brian Bieber. I could have guessed because he's sitting right in front of us, but other than that, I would have guessed it. Once he said, almost the legend. Well, it's great to be here. Thank you. Thank you Mm -hmm. for that intro. And I think I'm done. All right, we'll wrap it up. Yeah. Thanks, Nelson. I'm so excited to have you here because this little thing we've done, this podcast, we're on 80-something right now, 85, episodes. 85, I think. Yeah, yeah, this... 85 episodes. We've been doing it for a while. And so happy to have you come in, and I appreciate your time. So you and your partner, Joel Hirshhorn, you were an associate for Joel. When I think I was there as a law clerk, you were an associate, moved up to be his partner, which is no easy feat to get to that level. 
Please speak your responses. Verbal nods are not acceptable. Yeah, you're right. I was nodding (laughs) in acknowledgement. (laughs) Actually, I started as his law clerk. His law clerk. Yes. So I did not start as the associate. I started as his law clerk, probably in the same vein where you did, Brett. And so I was his law clerk for two years. And then two summers. No, right after Hurricane Andrew. While I was in law school, and instead of working, well, I guess the statute of limitations has passed right. on this, so you're only allowed to work 20 hours a week. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're and, working while you're in law school. Yes, yes, and I may or may not have been working 40, 50 hours a week. Well, I'll, join, well, I'll join that because I am sure that I was working more than 20 hours you a see, week. See, okay, so yeah, Mr. A, Bask, you'll have to— restriction. So yes, it is, yes. That's so the school's requirement? The school does. So Brett and I will ask you to represent us if they try to yank our law license for violating that. So yeah, so I worked for him for my second year, second summer, third year, Mm -hmm. and then he hired me out of law school to be his associate. Yeah. So I was his associate for five years and then partner for 23 now. Wow. Practicing 28 years. And always it was a small firm or a solo practice when you first started working for him? him? Yes, it was his practice. Yes. He had one associate for five years at a clip and he had four associates before me and then I was his fifth associate and then at the five-year mark I sat down with him and Mm -hmm. said I want to talk to you about the future did you go in knowing it's a five-year term is that kind of I went that was past practice no I just went in with the mindset of let me steal as much knowledge as I can right and then I didn't know what I wanted to do except I knew I wanted frankly, to be successful, whatever that means. And I have a definition of successful that does not necessarily equate with dollars. What does that mean? Please share us that definition. All right. To jump right in, being successful to me is being the happiest you can Mm -hmm. because we all deal with problems and bullshit every day. Everybody does. But if you can increase the amount of hours of happiness that you have then you are successful. So right. I look at any given day okay. and say, what it was kind satisfaction, of satisfaction, not just economic. Yeah, right. satisfaction. Okay. You know, it's the components of right. family, friends, and really right. the meaning of life, right. whatever that is for each person. I interrupted you that you were starting to say at the end of the five years, you sat down with him and you said, And I what? said, I want to talk to you about the future. And he said, Oh, you mean Hershorn and Bieber? And I said, no, alphabetically, Bieber and Hershorn. And <laughs> he, he said, said, did he respond Hershorn and Bieber? And that's he the did. first time you had discussed that? Okay. No, you see, we have a special relationship where we didn't really need to discuss many things. So about three years in, just working late one night, you know, it's before the internet, you know, before emails and we're in the library grinding it out and we're talking and he said, yeah, it'd be Hershorn and Bieber, maybe five-year mark. I said, Okay. And I went home and I told my girlfriend, now wife, Wendy, oh my gosh, you know, I'll be a partner maybe in five years. And then the five-year mark came and he didn't say anything. So I went to him. He said, Hershorn and Bieber. I said, no, Bieber and Hershorn alphabetically. He said, don't be a wise ass. But you know, I thought about it because when I spoke to Brett before this- Are you here to stir a pot or something? I'm not at all. I'm not a cook leffer. No. When I spoke with Brett before- I placed Brian in here as a ringer. That's it. Before this- marriage, this partnership. And he was telling me about this Jeff Best. And 
he said, best Amron. I said, well, why not Amron best? And so, he said, don't be a wise ass. Yeah, he did. Right. He did. <laughs> and that's how I knew it would work. And now I'm in this studio in this magnificent office space. And I could not be prouder of Brett. Thank you. Well, I obviously learned right. from the best. So it was then Hirshhorn and Bieber, a small firm, just you guys and one associate at a time in law clerk. And then you made a transition after a number of years to now Gray Robinson. Tell us about that transition and some of the decisions behind that. When you are our law clerk, Brett, mm-hmm. and it's not just me, but Joel will say, Brett was a stellar law clerk. And Maybe not, the best. I've heard the best. Well, definitely. Brian was the best, clearly. Definitely. Right? I'm asking Brian. Top three. And we've had some great law clerks. And yeah, I would say the best. I mean, if I had to put them up against. Yourself. Mm, and mm, <laughs> no, I'm not going to. There's so some great ones there. It was Joel and I yep. and one law clerk or two law clerks. And then we needed an associate. So we grew mm-hmm. into that. And then we needed two associates and we grew into that. Mm. And everything just happened organically. That was the word I was looking for yeah. before. Everything just flowed organically. So then in uh, about 2012, all the big firms in Miami started to look at white collar criminal practices and they all wanted that arm of their firm. 2012? Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Was there something happening? You know, I think it was, no, I don't think it was anything specific in the climate, but our phones were ringing and it was quite flattering because criminal defense lawyers mostly are solo, but there is this big firm criminal defense lawyer stigma, if you will, and nothing against former assistant United States attorneys because some of them, most of them are excellent criminal defense lawyers. But there's this muttering under everyone's breath that, oh, the former AUSAs go to big firms and they just push paper and they don't try cases. Mm -hmm. So we, of course, are Hirshhorn and Bieber. We're street fighting criminal defense lawyers, Mm -hmm. state, federal, you name it. And these big firms started to call us Mm -hmm. and said, would you like to come and work for us? So it was quite flattering. And we met with four or five different firms. Mm -hmm. Names will go unmentioned. The meetings went very well. And then it came to talking dollars. And that was the sticking point because of the structure of how big firms do it. And there was another thing with committees and things like that. So we said, hey, this is flattering, but we're not interested. And then I'm on a plane because we go all over the country, wherever it takes us. I'm getting on a plane and Joel calls and said, hey, this guy from Gray Robinson, apparently there's one president of the law firm. And I just met with him. And I really think when you get back, you should meet with them. I said, wait, you're crazy. I come back and I meet with, his name was Biff Marshall. He's no longer the president. He still keeps his- He was there his, for a long time. He was there. Yeah, Biff actually- for a long yeah, time. Right? He yeah. was. He grew the firm. Yeah, he oversaw from, big growth, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Really made the firm what it is today. I met with Biff and it was actually like sitting with Jeff and Brett. Right. It was this kind of conversation and they had microphones that's yeah they, recording they, they, they it recorded weird, it yeah. it was really <laughs> weird but really it was just that kind of conversation right. comfortable mm-hmm. and he said look what do you want and we said well here's what we're doing we want autonomy we want the freedom we don't want to deal with any bs he said that's great because we don't have committees here we don't look at you this is not that kind of big firm that's great okay. so in 2013 we said here's what we would be comfortable with. And Biff said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Bring your whole staff over. You don't have to worry about any administration. 
when I was chatting with the two of you before we started recording, we were talking about Gray Robinson and the big firm Mm -hmm. and the difference between the small firm and the big firm. And a lot of criminal defense lawyers that I know around the country would say, what the hell are you doing? Why would you do that? And the reason why is because we practice the same exact way that we practiced at Hershorn and Bieber. There is absolutely no difference, except we don't have to deal with the administration. Right. Right. And you also benefit, I would assume, from the firm's clients. So, okay. Time to time, I'm sure most of them are All right. squeaky clean, no issues, but from time well, to time, there must be. Yes, from time to time, you get the occasional who's not so squeaky clean. And within, actually, it was within the first year, maybe five months of being there. And of course, we had our sights set on, you know, you have 300 civil lawyers. It should be a good stream of sure. referrals. and. I was referred the ambassador to the United Nations from the Dominican Republic who got indicted for bribery in New York. So here I am with this firm five months in, and I'm now representing this ambassador. It was for those two weeks, the initial two weeks, the biggest case in federal court in New York. And it was phenomenal. So the internal referrals started out like a house on fire. And so they've been fine. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, after doing this 28 years, Mm -hmm. you build up that referral source. But yes, so Jeff, the internal referrals, the lack of dealing with BS and administration and office. So it really enabled us to practice law full time. Yeah. And you don't have what many lawyers face in big firms, you don't have the problem of conflicts. For you guys, conflicts are not traditionally going to be a big issue because on the other side of your case is some prosecutor and nobody the firm is representing. So true. Fortunately, some practices suffer from a big firm environment that a lot of conflicts like our practice, our practice could be challenging in a big firm that has lots of institutional clients that are in every bankruptcy case, for example. Fortunately, in the Nine years we've been at Gray Robinson, I've been conflicted out of only two matters. One major, which still stings. and So another defendant was already? or Yeah, something like that. <laughs> and then the other was just annoying because I really did want that case. And I was like, wow, that's really annoying. So if it ever became a problem, then we'd have to address it and decide what we want to do. But fortunately, it has not become a problem. And We just kind of skirted around that case, and it reminded me of what Brett had said during the intro about people that we represent and the confidentiality. Thank you again for that intro. It was great, inflates my ego and all that stuff. But honestly, the best result that we could achieve, that I could achieve for a client is the confidential one. Sure. The jury trial, the back in the late 90s and early 2000s, the newspapers, and now, you know, the internet, you know, when the internet blows up and your name is, that's great. That's wonderful, especially on a win. But for those clients who really put their lives Mm -hmm. in your hands and you are able to keep it under the radar, it's the absolute best, whether it's a celeb, and that's great. We've been fortunate enough to save celebs from disaster, and that translates into tens of millions of dollars when you extrapolate it to the local doctor whose spouse doesn't even know 
who Brian Bieber is or that I ever entered into his or her life. Those are the best results. And you have to have a long memory there because if you see this person and their spouse, it's all over, right? And they come up to you or you come up to that, like you don't want to go up to them. Oh, we just met somewhere random. You can't, if the spouse doesn't know. You can't say this is a former client. Oh, this is a former client. Oh, we met through work. Like that's going to be a weird interaction. Three months ago, I'm at a (laughs) shiva. It's going to happen, I'm at a shiva in Boca Mm -hmm. and I walk in and this person Mm -hmm. looks at me and nodded just like Brett nodded at me just now. Not because you represented me. No, I did. I have not represented Brett and I know I never will. Bast, that's another story. Right, we'll get to that. Yeah. I walked in, he nodded. I nodded at him. He introduced me to his wife, his cousins. He emailed me that night. Thank you. You pulled it off. It was perfect. Yes. So I've been in that situation. How do you, uh, how have you handled celebrities in the past? Two things. One is if they're coming to the office, I assume they don't want to be paraded through a major law firm's offices to meet with a white collar criminal defense attorney. And then conflict checks. I don't know if the firm, I guess you have to send that out, the conflict check, but well, have you had issues with that? Yeah. Great question. Great question. So, there is a way that we confidentially do conflict checks. You don't have to reveal the secret, but I is just that, think is it, that something that you guys instituted? It is. They mm-hmm. did not have it beforehand right. before we came. Right. They had a form of it, but not this. Right. So there is a way to do that where no one in the firm knows that we're representing them. Did it recently. It's funny that you just asked mm-hmm. about that. And then the parading of it, you know, I ask the client. We just had a hip hop person come in and I asked him and he said, no, I don't care. He walked in the front, a couple of people took pictures, but on the confidential ones, there is a way to whisk them in or meet off site. Yeah, there's a way to get them in there and do it really confidential and do it really quickly. And I almost, back when Justin Bieber got arrested for that DUI with the Lamborghini. Oh, Oh, yeah. And I was leaving the house because I get up and I'll tell you my process maybe in a few minutes if we get to it, but okay. I get up really early. So that morning he got arrested at two or three in the morning and I'm about to leave the house and it's about 5.45 in the morning and my wife yells downstairs, Justin Bieber got arrested in Miami. So, oh, all right. So I'm driving and I'm like, this would be really cool. Like Bieber representing Bieber, Bieber. Yeah. <laughs> and true story. And I get the phone call. And I'm like, all right, this is great. I mean, this is what, 20 years ago, right? Or 15, I don't know. And I'm like, this is great. And we had a side door at the old office before we were at the big firm. His management's calling, three, four phone calls. I'm nervous. My hands are sweating. And and then I get the call. Sorry, someone at the management team steered him to Roy Black. So They they didn't want the confusion of having the same name. Has to be because put me up against Roy 15 right. years ago. Come on. Well, yes. I would so. take you over Roy. Well, That's not saying anything negative to Roy Black. <laughs> Although I'm a little surprised that your own nephew didn't hire you. It's well, really yes, well, didn't happen. <laughs> didn't happen. Brett's an early guy. And so you came in with, he, I'm an early guy. So I'm going to know if we're going to have a little challenge here. No challenge. I, He's going to sure. win. Okay. Yeah. And I forgot because Brett did remind me about mm-hmm. five years ago or so. I don't know. We were chatting on the phone and it was early one morning, I guess. And he reminded me about the early start. I forgot about that. But he had already come back from a 12 mile run. So that's <laughs> yeah. the difference. And what Brian is your- actually gets up and works. 
Okay. And it started when my daughter was five years old, so 15 years ago. And we took her down to Jackson. We live in Weston. We took her down to Jackson to get her tonsils taken out. We had to be there at like 5.15 in the morning. And we're driving down the Palmetto. It's pitch black. And I turned to my wife and I said, why am I dealing with traffic? I'm going to rewind the clock two hours. From the next day, I could look up her tonsil surgery because the next day I got up at 4.30 in the morning and went to work. So I started that 15 years ago. So I get up. Avoiding traffic. Avoiding traffic. Mm -hmm. And I don't go down to Miami every day, but I stay on that. And that has helped me really in the balance of life and leading into what I said in the beginning about happiness in life. Because to get up that early and to work and be productive, and then the kids would get up and I'd be able to be there and be present and spend time. And even if I'm not doing anything, I'm just there. I don't feel guilty about not working. Mm. And then I'd be able to get home early if I'm not in trial and I'm there, you know, three o'clock, you know, at four o'clock. So it's a matter of, it's still the same 12, 14, 16 hour work day. It's just when and where you're doing it. And I fell into that routine and that habit. And it was great. I would preach it to anyone who would listen, but it's hard to do, you know. Do you do it on the weekends? And what time do you go to sleep? Okay. question. I absolutely do not do it on the weekends. The weekends, I like to sleep. And I have a buddy who lives in Weston, who's also a very good lawyer, Scott Levine. And he is... We'll bleep that out. Okay. (laughs) And he is on me all the time to play golf in the morning on the weekends. And I I can't do it. So the way my brain works, the way my body works is that schedule is just work. work. Yeah. And then the weekends, and I don't sleep past, you know, 7.30, Right, you think that's but, late. <laughs> but you're not setting an alarm. On the right. early days, you're setting an alarm. If you could tell Levine that, that'd be great. Right. It's not setting an alarm. It's the mental right. just knowing. So during the week, I like to get up get upstairs, you know, eat dinner early, 5, 5.30, you know, like an Altacock. Early bird. It's yes. early bird. Like it. Yeah. And good. get some take good advantage deals of the pricing. Yes, yeah. yes. Good. Wendy usually cooks it up. And then, you know, I'm dealing with clients and dealing with emails and right. things like that through whatever time. But if I can get upstairs at 8 and watch TV and do a little light work and pass out by 10.30, it's a solid 10, 6 hours. And then you're up at 4. 4.30. 4.30. So you got good by and, 15 minutes. Okay. 445. Okay. There we go. But it's also good because if I need to get on a plane, it's not that difficult oh, to get up at 3 30, yeah. get on the 6 a.m., be in federal court in New York by 10 30, or cross country in California. You can really get things done. And in the old days, I take the red eye and be home the next day. I can't do that anymore. Red eyes, 50 are, red eyes are brutal years now, old. Huh? No, it's I, not worth it. No. So it really frees up my ability to travel for work. Yeah. And it makes so much sense. I'm not a super early person, but when I need to be productive, I'll get up early and do what I do. Usually it's fitness or whatever in the morning. But those hours, the emails are not flying. The phone's not ringing. You're not getting interrupted. And also your schedule is then closer to your kids. When the kids are young, you're going to sleep when they're going to sleep. You might as well be awake while they're awake and be asleep while they're asleep. And advice to young lawyers. These are three old men talking right mm. now, even though we're not that old. Speak for yourself. All right. <laughs> but 
I never could have or would have thought about this in my 20s, you know, and the work ethic. And this really comes from that work ethic. I'm not blowing smoke here, but the reason why Brett was one of our best law clerks, and I remember this, it wasn't just because every assignment that he turned in was great. You know, you just knew you're getting a great work product from a law clerk, but his work ethic, that's what I remember. And so I didn't teach him that, you know, he's a great lawyer in his own right. And I'm happy that I was able to teach him some things or some of it would rub off. So it's the work ethic. So any advice to young lawyers is it's the work, just putting in the time, putting in the hours. Now, don't worry about what's going to be in five years or 10 years. You know, you asked me, Jeff, did you think that, you know, you were going to be his partner in five years or whatever? I wasn't thinking that. I was just thinking, get the experience, get the knowledge, and everything will come. If you're honest and you're hardworking, it really does come. It all comes. And it's a matter of what you put in. And then if you can somehow, some way, and I don't know how the hell I was able to, but have that presence of mind to balance the family and the work and then all the Michigas of life and we'll define Michigas in the show notes yes. <laughs> for those that don't know <laughs> going back for a second so you can't teach somebody to have internal work ethic but you can model and you guys clearly modeled for me and you know I think my saying probably learned from you guys is I may not be the smartest guy in the room but nobody's going to outwork me but how do you in today's world are you able to for young lawyers, right? What does it mean to put in the time? What does it mean to have that work ethic, right? I think you're somewhat modeling it in that you're like, yeah, my hours are my hours and I'm just going to move it around, right? And we have now the remote working and try and balance life with family and work and all that stuff. So what does that mean? If you're sitting in front of a 20-something today or a 30-something and they're young, and they're asking you for advice on, you know, what does it take to be a great lawyer? And the, what do you mean by work ethic and putting in the time? Whatever it takes. Yeah, I mean, we say that too, but like, okay, what does that mean? I think Jeff really just summed it up in that one sentence, whatever it takes. Yeah. And I think that a lot of times what I'll do is I'll say, here's how I did it. And here's what I did. And there's more ways than one to skin a cat. I would read a newspaper every morning. That's just not happening anymore. The 20-something-year-olds are not. And you know what? That's okay. Yeah. Because what they're doing on their phone and what they're reading on their phone, they can take it to new levels and do it better than us. Absolutely. So my advice to the young lawyers and with that work ethic, it doesn't matter what generation it is. Mm -hmm. If you work your ass off and you try to have that presence of mind of I want to be successful in this role that I'm in, in this role that I'm choosing, then you can't lose. So it really is, in my opinion, it's putting in the time. I know that we say millennials and, you know, younger lawyers are stressing the work-life balance. You know what? They should. And we can embrace it and they should embrace it. But if they're going to cut corners on the ultimate sacrifice, which is your time. The time to build is now. The time to learn is now. And surround yourself with 
I mean, I still do it. I still try to surround myself with the best lawyers because that takes it to another level. And the second that I get up in front of a jury, I'm still, my hands are sweating. My heart is palpitating. And if that doesn't happen, I'll know that's when it's time to hang it up. I mean, my opinion, why I have that fear of failure because you care. Yeah. You care about the client. You care about the outcome. You care about the perception of you. I think it's all wrapped up in that. Right. But I think to hit the nail on the head. Yeah. yeah, You care about the win. And it's not a matter of competition or anything in my business. Mm -hmm. It's somebody's life. Yeah. That's in your hands. Right. And if you can't, as a criminal defense lawyer, and really it's civil too, but if you can't identify with the person that you're representing, as a family member, or even more so, if you can get it to the next level as yourself, yeah, then you shouldn't be in this line of work. And somehow, some way, and I am fortunate, and that's why you know some people say, "How do you represent someone who was accused of doing this or that?" I'm waving my hand in front of my face with my eyes open right now. It doesn't register what someone is accused of or what they may or may not have done because we, I have to be successful in this trial. No ifs, ands, or buts. And so you're going to spend, if you need to pull an all-nighter, you're going to do it because you need to be prepared and know everything you need to know for whatever is about to transpire. Correct. And the best advice to young lawyers, too, is don't ever put yourself in a position where you have to prepare an all-nighter unless the judge says to you, you're doing closing argument tomorrow, and that's happened to me before. And Yeah, that's a different issue. That's a different issue, but The preparation and trying to see the big picture and saying, look, I have all of this on my plate. I am going to give this up. I'm going to give that up. I'm going to put in the time. And then somehow, some way, five years, 10 years later, it's just not as much, whether you become that much better or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And you get better at it. You get better at not only the practice, not only research, writing, but you get better at time management. And projecting out, okay, here's what my week looks like. Can I go to this dinner or this family event or this kid's event? Yeah, if I do X, Y, and Z, you get better at it. Like anything else, I think, right? It's called the practice. Yeah, and not getting overwhelmed as a young lawyer, not getting ahead of yourself. Not everyone has to have an office as impressive and incredible as this. And, you know, it's... thank you. Well, it's true. But it goes back to what I said in the beginning. It's all about your personal happiness, what lets you soak up the amount of hours in a day that are more positive than negative. Well, you said it also. You surround yourself with smart, capable people. And that's part of the same process, too. We surround ourselves with smart, capable people so that when an emergency does come up, there is somebody else here that can help or somebody else who has different expertise that this requires. Manpower, man or woman power. I don't know what the terminology is anymore, but we power. We power. Yeah, but when Brett was talking to me about you and he developing the partnership, and it really comes down to does one plus one equal three? And when it does, right. and you can't define that. Right. It's just, it's that chemistry, right. but you know it. I don't play music. I'm a big worth, music fan, right. but yeah, the whole, the whole is, is worth more than the sum of its parts. Right? No exactly. doubt, no right. doubt. And it must be like, making great music, right? you know, how just sitting you, there and it right. pops in your head, right? Right. right. That, or right. you have other bandmates, you're writing music or playing music and it creates that 
That's what I right. think it must be like. Or, or a sports team. You get to a point where you're on a wavelength together and you're just much better as a team. I mean, you mentioned this. You and Joel, you got to a point where you didn't even have to have a conversation. Right. You were on the same wavelength. You were able to communicate without words. Yes. That was, I think, the beauty of our entire relationship. I want to know, there's a war story, but you could tell one if you want. Tell the beaver story, which is an interesting story. I would like to know, maybe our listeners would like to know, what it's like working with, initially working for, and now being partners with. It says a lot about you, obviously, and who you are and as a lawyer and a person, but working with somebody in Joel Hirschhorn, who's really, I mean, the guy's a legend, right? And working with a legend? I can answer this. Well, I know you can, but that'll be on a separate podcast. That'll be the last podcast we do. <laughs> no, but seriously, I mean, he's still going strong. We were talking about that before and He's amazing. He really is. And I know you've learned a lot from him over the years, as did I, and do I watching him. But what's that like? In the beginning, I was certainly in awe of him because of everything I had heard. And then I start to work with him. And what was it like? You know what? It's like what I tried to do for the associates that have worked with us mm -hmm. and we've had some good runs and we have an outstanding one right now, but it was, or is, was certainly working for him. I was just exposed to the way he did everything, almost like a child to a parent where the parent could do no wrong because right. you don't know any different. So I was exposed to someone who really knew what the hell he was doing in the courtroom and outside the courtroom. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. He loves to say, Brian has discarded all of my bad habits <laughs> and emulated all of my good habits. Yeah. So in, you know, and it's I like would always, child, right? yeah, yeah, yeah right, and right, I would right. laugh at that. Yeah. But as the years went by, I kind of realized that, and, you know, and of course I developed my own style. And fortunately I had the work ethic that I have. And that comes from, experiencing a lot of financial difficulties growing up. And I really didn't have a choice in that sense. And I look back on that and say, you know what? Thank God I went through that right. experience. Although, you know, you don't want to go through that. So that's where my work ethic comes from. So again, it's really that chemistry of who I was. Like, why was I Joel's only partner? Right. You know, why? Because I guess I'm a product of me and my work ethic and the time where he was in his life. He was my age. He was early 50s. And here comes this associate who all I was doing literally was killing myself. For the first five years, I worked 50 out of 52 Saturdays, you know, and some Sundays. It was just the process. And he, I guess you can define it, you know, as a workaholic back when they would define that in the 70s and 80s. And he was, he was from that generation. I certainly benefited from that. So what was it like? It was like watching somebody practice the right way. And those bad habits, I definitely right. discarded. And that's cool. And you know what? I'm sure I have mine. And I tried to soak it all up. Yeah. And I did. It didn't matter to me if I had to work 18 or 20 hours, if I can go watch him in trial for six hours. I still had my 14 hours of work to do during the day. So I would do that. And, you know, we mentioned Roy Black earlier. And when I was in law school, I'd put on a suit and I would go to the federal courthouse and I would watch Roy try cases. It was remarkable. And to see the different style, you know, Roy has a 
different style than Joel. I think I'm somewhere my style wise in the middle of the two of them. Different, right? Frankly, I mean, I think the best lawyers like pick and choose, or the best in anything. Musicians, artists, athletes—they find their skills from multiple sources, right? And you hone it and make them your own. And you don't even consciously do it. And the other thing is, there's a good argument that you're a better lawyer. The reason is because you had him as a mentor. He didn't have Joel Hirshhorn as a mentor. You did. So you benefited from that. Well, I don't know if his ego would be able to handle that. but (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we'll cut that. (laughs) We'll cut that. Can we edit that out? Yeah, I mean, I probably just, well, blindness. I was not from Miami, so I didn't know who Joel Hirshhorn was at that time, way back when, when I was a 2L. I was lucky enough to see the post at the Career Center that you guys were looking for law clerk. And I answered it and thank God I did. So I started working for you guys. And then I quickly learned who Joel Hirshhorn was. And I got to see firsthand him and realize, wow, that's what it takes and that's what it means. And then I got to see you as an associate. I think you were in your third year. I don't know why that's sticking in my head. We're about three years apart. So I think it was three years. And I got to watch you and sort of model what it takes. And then I really got to see who he was when I was working for you guys during that time period. And I was like, wow. I think a lot of people would attribute that to luck. But you know, like that saying that luck is when opportunity meets preparation. So you had this opportunity and you came at it full bore. You maximized the utility of that opportunity. There was luck because the timing was right and I found the ad. Right. But But had I been, I don't know, not capable didn't present well at an interview. You were prepared. You, I would never have gotten. And then yeah. that shifted my mindset. I went to law school. I think I've told you this story. I went to law school thinking I wanted to be a corporate lawyer, finance major, corporate lawyer. I was like, oh, no, maybe I want to do litigation. And right. then I, because of Joel and Brian, ended up getting to the state attorney's office. And you now, are thankful. I know right. that. And now one day, maybe someone will interview me in a podcast and I can tell the story of what it's like to work for a living legend in Mr. Amron. There you go. I think on that we can end. Yeah, we should end. We should land this plane. We are going to have to have you back, though. I feel like we barely scratched the surface here. For real. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a five-star review. Follow us. Share us with your friends and your family. And if you have any questions for Brian, his contact information is in the show notes. And if you want to come talk to me or Brett, give us a bring or a buzz or an email. Thank you, Brian, for doing this. We appreciate it. My pleasure. A lot of fun. Thank Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Nelson. Thank you, Brett. Thank you. For more information on this show and other resources, visit FastAmron.com and connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at FastAmron.com.